Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the jobs report, the Fed, inventory, and so much more. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, events and program specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, because it's always Jobs Friday and all Jobs Fridays are wonderful. You know, it has been a whole jobs week. We've had so much going on this week. Okay, catch us up to speed on Jobs Friday. What's the headline for you there? The labor market's slowing down. It's not just this jobs report. It's the accumulation of all the data that we've seen recently. Now, the headline number actually beat estimates. That's not a surprise. Uh, I think we've beaten estimates like 13 times in a row. Uh, but when you take the revisions, we're negative 149,000. If you take a three-month average, it's about 182,000 per month now. That takes us back to early uh, January 2021. If you take the job openings data that we saw uh, this week as well, then the labor market is slowing down. We went from 12 million job openings to roughly around nine and a half million. With that context, the rate hikes, the banking crisis, everything, the job market is slowing down, running into a economy that has to deal with higher rates and a tightening of the labor market. So uh, this is textbook 101 what the federal reserve wanted um and uh job openings i think getting to seven million is their target and with a three-month average uh, being uh, as low as it is since uh early 2021 that's something they're uh, happy about and also wage growth is just slowly moving down for some time now <laughs> the year-over-year average even though it picked up month to month uh the year-over-year average has proven once again we are not in the 1970s inflationary scare or the wage spiral running out of uh, control and and everyone has inflation is about to go rampant again. So is this enough for the Federal Reserve to go, okay, this is the job, you know, this is affecting jobs and this is where we're going to change? No, not yet. Again, I'm, I'm my, my entire Fed pivot premise is on jobless claims data breaking above uh, 323,000 on the four-week moving average room. We're not there yet. Uh, so uh, once that happens, I think they will feel much comfortable. They, they might even feel much comfortable if job openings gets back to 7 million. 7 million is pre-COVID. So uh, I, you know, 
the question is, was that the last rate hike we saw? You know, if the crisis gets worse, I mean, in in theory, it should they should have been done a, a while ago, right? Because of the lag impact. But I think uh, uh, they're they are so petrified of the 1970s uh, that in their minds, a recession to to them it's like a badge of honor. That look at us, we're the Federal Reserve. Paul Volcker did it. We put us into a deep recession. We're going to do it. We're going to do it again just to beat inflation. Well, this is not the 1970s. The bond market has shown it. Inflationary data has shown it. Where the growth rate is already cooling down. It just takes a little bit more time. And this is why I always talk about the Federal Reserve needs to endure, right? It can't panic. Like they get these panic episodes. Like when mortgage rates got to 6%, Kashkari came on TV and said, oh my God, 6%. You might make our jobs harder. You know, um, so we have to evolve, hopefully, from that stage. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't look like to me that they're 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 in that uh, new mindset yet. What else has the Fed done this week that makes you go, okay, where are they in this process? Well, I mean, Chairman Powell actually t- talked about, you know, he doesn't believe there will be a job loss recession. Um, and again, again, the job openings data, which is very important to me, which everyone hates on Twitter finance, um, but uh, they believe that 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 data line can go lower and lower and not have a job loss recession. Uh, so we're talking about every report for many months. Again, I think that the whole debate with the Federal Reserve, with with a lot of market people, is that do you not believe in the lag impact, which means that the, the, the Fed rate hikes won't be hit until 12 or 18 months later? If you believe in that premise, you should stop because the whole idea for the Federal Reserve, and this is really key to the entire Federal Reserve's uh, talking point, they don't want to cut rates. So they said this a few months ago or, or, or late 2022 that we don't want to raise rates so much so fast that we are forced to cut them. Well, then what are you doing? So I think there was between like December. Remember we talked about somebody like spiked the Fed's eggnog. Yes. <laughs> um, something happened toward the end of last year and early part of this year that changed their mind, and it, it just spooked them. And then they were they were like talking about six percent Fed funds rate, or you know, and. Even with the banking crisis situation, which people are talking about, the tightening of credit, um, there really wasn't a like a very good reason to hike rates at the last meeting. But they all say, "Well, if we don't hike rates, they're gonna people are gonna think that we know something." No, we don't think you know anything. Don't worry about that. We're all good here, <laughs> right? We are all like, "Oh my God, the Federal Reserve! No, you're old and slow for a reason. We're good. Take a look at the mirror. You might not know something, but." I think I think we're we're starting to get to that framework where the Fed just goes, okay, let's see what goes on, right? Uh, clearly, it's changed since the banking crisis. There's no more, you know, six percent Fed funds rate. We might need to go to seven. We had some crazy people talk about seven percent Fed funds rate, or we need we need seven to eight percent unemployment rates uh, uh, to defeat inflation. You have to endure with inflationary data. Um, because clearly wage spiral is not happening. We saw this in the data for 12 straight months. If people believe in reading and, uh, clearly the shelter factor over the next 12 months is going to be much different. So this is where we're at. And, uh, we just, again, take it one week at a time. And that's why we do the tracker. So we could keep an eye on the labor data 
And so far, jobless claims haven't broken yet. Well, and also, I mean, we're doing this in the midst of uh, several bank failures. And I think you and I talked about this the other day, and, and you gave me a number of how many banks are are in that list right now. Yeah, I mean, you could, in, you could in theory, put 28 banks at risk, right? And I think what, what happens, I, to me, when I see what happens in the stock market with banks, and we've, we've gotten to the points where people are saying, we have to stop short sellers from shorting these bank stocks and driving them lower. Because what happens in the stock market is that they'll smell blood and everybody will short the bank stocks and the bank stocks will be going down 20, 30%. And then in that light, people think, oh, I got to take my money out of the bank. So uh, this is why it is such a wonderful thing for all of us in housing that Freddie and Fannie are not publicly traded companies. The failure of you know Mark Calabrio of not getting what he wanted was one of the biggest blessing in disguises ever in housing economics. He did not get to create Freddie and Fannie uh, out of conservatorship or pull them out of conservatorship, so they have to deal with the stock market. That was a blessing in COVID. That is an unbelievable blessing right now. So we do have to thank Mark Calabrio for not being able to pull that off because uh, the United States of America, the people of this country benefited from that in a very big fashion. So just to close the loop on that, this has the Fannie and Freddie have nothing to do with the bank failures. What you're saying is if they were publicly held companies, they would be under that same sort of pressure. Yes. Their stocks would go down and people would be credit would get tightening. And I mean, look at the mortgage backed security spreads are already bad. Like, you know, they're not like at all time worse levels, but they're really bad. Uh, it, I mean, to give you a, a baseline case, you know, when, when people talked about eight to ten percent mortgage rates last year, they were really talking about the ten-year yield getting to uh, five, five and a quarter, and having bad spreads. There's your eight, eight to ten percent mortgage rates. It could happen in theory in that light. And here we are, mortgage rates are at six and a half. The spreads are terrible, right? Imagine if the ten-year yield wasn't here at the Gandalf line and we we're higher. Yeah, we're talking about seven and a half, eight percent mortgage rates at this point. So. Um, things could be a lot worse in housing. So I know a lot of people, you know, the spreads are really bad and, and the banking crisis isn't helping and jumbo loans are going to get hit, but, uh, uh, it could be much worse than where we are dealing with today. So let's talk a little bit about mortgage rates and the 10-year yield and the Gandalf line. And we have a listener question. So all of those things. So first of all, what happened with mortgage rates this week? You know, for as wild as the news was, it, it wasn't too crazy with rates. I think it was 6.75. We got down to 6.43. Um, you know, the spreads are just terrible. So mortgage rates, a few, you know, last year would be at 6% today. So spreads tell, you know, again. Oh, the spreads is uh, the, between the 10-year yield and the 30-year mortgage rate were above 3%, you know. So usually it's between 1.60 to 1.80. So whenever you see somebody do a 3% spread, that means mortgage rate should be almost one and a quarter lower than where we are today. So today we should have five and a quarter mortgage rates. If it was in the previous expansion, that's where we'd be. Could, you, could everyone imagine what housing would be like if we had five and a quarter rates? Right. You know, uh, even the craziest of the craziest housing crash people would have to like move the needle to to next year. But that isn't the case. Uh, the Federal Reserve doesn't care. So we have to deal with this. And I think there, there's a frustration that the spreads aren't getting a little bit better. They're getting worse. And that's, in a sense, the banking crisis that, you know, when I when I went on CNBC a few weeks ago, 
when we talked about banking crisis, it's not so much credit getting tight in terms of loans really in scale getting away because Freddie and Fannie are publicly are, are, are in conservatorship, but the spreads have gotten worse and they're just staying bad uh, above 3%. It's not an effective market. And this is why I say the mortgage market here in America resembles like a third world country uh, when countries have to deal with our dollar getting stronger and their rates are really wild and their financial markets aren't, aren't solid. So this is the reality we have to deal with. But again, if the 10-year yield was at four and a quarter or 5%, things would be much worse. Things would be much worse. So tell us, how did the Gandalf line first explain what that is and how it held this week among so much chaos? Tell us. You know, I know the Gandalf line is annoying people when bond traders start to tell me their their own models for the 10-year yield. It's funny. I had actually one bond trader on Twitter say, I think you just guessed that number with your gut. I was like, you know. I have like this whole forecast model that I do every single year and I will take it on any single human being on planet earth any day of the year. And I'm trying to explain to him that some of the calls that I made in the previous expansion. So um, the Gandalf line, when the year started, one of the things I talked about is that between 3.37, 3.42, this area is going to be tough to break. For the 10-year yield. The 10-year yield, yeah. So the 10-year yield kept on going there and bouncing off, kept on going there and bouncing off. And, you know, so I thought, what is a cultural reference that we all could you know, recognize? Well, it's Gandalf saying, you shall not pass, right? Balrog's coming in and, and it's seven times. I think this is going to be the eighth time now. Uh, it just keeps on bouncing off. Now, we did break it for a very short period of time, the height of the banking crisis early on. It broke us under there for like a day, and then it just shot right back up. So uh, here we are to this week with all the drama that we've had. It bounced off again. And we had a question from a listener. Uh, is there any historical value to the Gandalf line? Uh, and I And I would say this. The way I look at the bond market and mortgage rates is probably going to be different than everyone else's. But I, I, I always tell people, follow the body of my work going back to 2015. 2015 is when I started to incorporate this. So what you need to realize is that every year in the last decade, I talked about we're just going to be in a range between 160 and 3%. It's really boring, but that's what it is. And when the next recession hits, the 10-year yield should break underneath 160 um, the only time that we were tested really was in 2018. In 2018, the 10-year yield got to three and a quarter on November. That was the day where 50 economists said mortgage rates are going up in 2019. I was like, no, we're going to go down the long-term channel, right? Um, so in 2019, I talked about 1.94. The 1.94 is a big le- level of my work. So I put these technical levels and economic models, I try to incorporate them together. It's not going to make sense to a lot of people. But when COVID happened, I was like, okay, the 10-year yield could get to negative 21 basis points in 62. I, you know, I Those are my lines. They're not so much, I would say, historical lines. I mean, if, you, if anybody looked at the chart, you could see that that line had possibly a chance to break. But for this year, if you look at the forecast, I talked about I don't think that level breaks or get below 3.21% until the labor market breaks. Breaking means jobless claims get to a certain level. So just sticking with my belief on the labor market incorporated that self into the Gandalf line. So it's not, you know, uh, if you don't hear about that level from anyone else, that's because everyone else has their own view on it. 
or they look at the charts differently. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just everybody has their own thing. This is mine for this year. If you go back to my previous predictions, I do these things very particular. Even in 2021, I said the 10-year yield between 62 basis points and 1.94, but the focus is we're going to create a range. Like We're going to have a good range between 1.33 and 1.60. Just harped on that over and over again. We got that in 2021. So how I look at it is not so much maybe in historical, it's just how I incorporate the 10-year yield mortgage rates and with the economic data. And it's crazy, you know, who who wants to predict bond market channels? That's like the craziest thing ever. Uh, but there's a lot more money in the bond market than in the stock market. So I think there's some frustration from people that are have a lot of money in the bond market that, hey, listen, the all these all these data lines are recessionary. The 10-year yield needs to go. Yes, it will. Just give it a little bit more time. The labor market breaks, it should break. And this is why I one of the questions I I give to market participants now that we're in May. And that channel for 2023 has has held. Do we believe that the 10-year yield will be north of four and a quarter when the labor market breaks or under 3.21? Because a lot of the bearish cases for housing last year was in October that mortgage rates will get to eight to 10%, the 10-year yield will get here. We wrote that article on October 27th stating our thesis, our premise, why mortgage rates will fall or the 10-year yield will fall. And a lot of that on that day was based on the Fed's main recessionary indicator flagged itself on that day. And then we just go off from that. So I wouldn't say like a historical reference. It's just for me, that line meant a lot so much that many months ago I said, okay, this is going to be hard to break. And now that we've seen it, uh, it's I, I, I'd have to go back in history to see how many – have we ever had a, something this strong – Within a year, within a year of crazy, I mean, it's one thing if the market was boring and nothing was going on, but all hell is breaking out. You know, this is a banking crisis, and it's held its ground. It has held its ground. I would like to uh, have a programming note here. As always, when you say we wrote this article, we formulated this, you really mean you. Your your basketball coach, I know it's always team, but I just want our listeners to know you write the articles, I edit them. I am not an economist nor an, nor a lead analyst. So this is your work and um, I'm happy to be part of it. But Sarah, if you bring this up one more time. I'm going to keep bringing it up. We're going to do salsa dancing. At the conferences, okay, in front of everyone. <laughs> okay, I can actually do salsa dancing, but listen, I, I'm not—I am not part of writing these articles, so I just want that to be clear. I, I wish I could. Everything's a t- everything is a team. We, all of us, not one person, all of us put together. Well, this is why I keep bringing it up. Yes. <sighs> okay, so we had purchase apps this week, and we had—we're—we still need to celebrate the fact that we can say. We are actually seeing a spring increase in inventory. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, total active listings for the last few weeks have finally started to risen. That's positive. Uh, new listings data, even though it's trending at all-time lows, it's having its seasonal increase uh, uh, on a week-to-week basis. These are all good things. We don't have too many weeks left for the new listings data to grow, about like eight weeks before it gets its seasonal decline. But it, it's a good thing that, you know, I've always said that a seller is also a buyer. So you get some people listing more, they feel more comfortable wherever mortgage rates are. So I'm not a mortgage rate lockdown person, but one of the things that new listings data was trending at all time lows when mortgage rates were at 3%. But when you list your homes and you sell it right away and you're buying another one, those homes do not stay in the active inventory less, right? Because they, they, they get taken out. 
uh, very early. But you want to see people in this light uh, because 30-day delinquencies, 60-day delinquencies, 90-day delinquencies are all-time lows. New listings are – we want to see people feel comfortable uh, in this environment. And uh, uh, last year, you know, when rates got to six and a quarter, things changed I think a lot, so not not everyone, but a, a few people were gun shy, and you can't blame them. I mean, mortgage rates went from three to six percent, six percent to five percent, five percent. That's not a functioning marketplace. That's a that's a dysfunctional uh, uh, country, and on the economic sense, you can't make life, big lifetime decisions when you have rates be that wild. Um, and again, the Federal Reserve didn't care. You know, the whole housing resident is just whatever. This whole thing has to crash, and. It did. I mean, home sales crashed. Housing went into recession on June, June 16th, 2022. It's funny. I still have this debate with people. I say, housing went into recession in June. What are you, what are you talking about? They're like, no, it's a bull market because prices haven't crashed 20%. We have some really, really like sad middle-aged men <laughs> out there that just focus on things that have no meaning or value. So um, we'll wait for the tracker to come out on Sunday. Uh, uh, by the time you hear this, we'll have the data out there and we just want to see the traditional inventory growth, all good. There's nothing bad about it. Supply is a good thing. Uh, and take it from there. Of course, much different marketplace now than we did last year. Um, and purchase apps showed us that starting from November 9th last year. And the builders have really taken an, uh, an advantage of this marketplace by uh, pushing down rates for their buyers. So uh, of course, again, it's, it's a rate situation and, I always like to remind people, we have over 155 million people working. When the labor market breaks and rates fall and you get maybe one or two negative reports, remember, there's 155 million people still working. Uh, COVID, we lost 20 to 30 million people very quickly and the housing demand was very stable, right? Uh, uh, that was fine. Why? Because 133 million people are working. We're going to have not only the same situation here, but we're going to have a lot more workers and a lot less volatility, right? Uh, because of the chaos of COVID. But uh, it really depends on how how low the ten year yield goes. What's the mortgage backed security market? How's that going? And that'll be a big uh, um, talking point going out in the future. But as of now, labor market's just slowing. Uh, wage growth is slowing down. These are things that the Fed wants. Uh, but it hasn't broken yet. Anytime we talk about inventory, and um, you say that line about how you know active listings, and when you're looking at new listings, how you how you look at that, and you mentioned that things that go on very quickly and then get bought um, don't show up on those numbers. I got a question just a couple weeks ago after uh, you said that, where it was like, "Is this the shadow inventory? Are there like no, no, no? So this one, are there millions? So here's the here's the theory that there are millions of homes in a shadow inventory. Um, so explain why that's not what you're saying. The sh- we are. I still get questions on it. We're still talking about the shadow inventory. It's crazy. I know. I, I, I see. I see it all the time. Uh, there is what we call vacant inventory. It's like fourteen million homes. Um, the shadow inventory is usually talked about by anti-central bank people. So it's just a trolling act, right? It's just designed to create fear. Like Batman creates fear. Where's the bat costume? Everybody sees the bat light. It's fear, like criminals get scared. Uh, these people just try to make it seem like there's all these active listings. And for some reason, even though there's this has been in a downtrend since 2008, these homes are going to come onto the market. 
And uh, we we I mean we just had a podcast about this uh, uh, this week the the or last week the 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 next stage of the housing discussion is going to be the foreclosure fanatics right. Um, that's not the shadow inventory. The shadow inventory is a mythical creature at this point. Uh, there's no distressed properties, right? We're going to have foreclosures rise there just because the backlog of foreclosures are rising. And like some guy, some podcast guy said, oh, foreclosures are up 700%. It's like from one to three, <laughs> whatever, you know, uh, it's like, so it's, it's not that just, you know, I, I, I would, I, 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 it's crazy for me to say this, but I try to advise my housing crash friends. Um, you might have to push your foreclosure thesis to 2025. And the reason I say that is we're in May, we're still creating jobs. When the job loss recession happens, if you're counting on new foreclosures, it's a process, 30, 60, 90 days. So uh, uh, nine to 12 months minimum, in some cases, it's even longer than that. That pushes out, you know, we're already past, you know, the midpoint of 2024. So you're almost to the point where you have to look at this in 2025. That's how the foreclosure process works. Well, and the the way that it um, works into that whole crash theory is that at some point, millions of homes, we don't know where these are, why people would be holding back, but they're all going to come on the market at the same time, flood it. They're going to crash prices. There's going to be all this stuff. And we're like, listen, Sarah, have you ever heard of the silver tsunami? Yeah, <laughs> the silver tsunami was from 2015 to 2025 because the baby boomers first turned 62, which Sarah's not a baby boomer. Thank no. you. Um, it's the first baby boomer turned 62 in 2008. So starting in 2015 would be the biggest increase of active supply ever recorded in U.S. history because mythically speaking, all the baby boomers were all going to sell at the same time and then they can't find homes to buy because there's no millennials to buy. Crackpot? <laughs> Anyone? I mean, it's just, we are in 2023, 26 to 32 million active listings. We are at 980,000. Ah, missed it by this much, right? So um, these are, listen, uh, you know, I, I spoke to a group of real estate agents and I told them, follow people like me that actually have the data. And we create models to show when there's actually like stress in the listings data. You usually need to see it in the new listings. It would take off. Um, the inventory scare that people talked about last year, which was hilarious. Uh, new listings data was still trending at all-time lows. We might we had a few weeks where we were up year over year, but nothing like what we saw before. And that's why total inventories are still all-time low. So it's they're, this is year 11 now that they're doing this with the shadow inventory. And I promise you, they will not stop. Even in death and the afterlife or wherever they are, they will talk about the shadow inventory in the pit, the abyss of hell or wherever. Uh, it is It is their sacred cow. They love it so much. And here we are today. Total active listings are near all-time lows. New listings data is, is at all-time lows. Uh, 30, 60, 90 day delinquencies are near all time lows. Everything they promised us hasn't happened. And I promise you, they won't change either. Well, and listen, if someone's out there sitting on all this shadow inventory, go ahead and release some of it. We need, if you, if we had a million more homes on the market, that would just juice the spring and summer home buying season. We'd be, we'd be so happy. Oh my, listen, I would, I, I'm going to throw a party when I get, you know, back to the four decade average of active listings um, because choices, I believe choices are a good thing. Um, and uh, sellers are traditional buyers. That means, you know, they're, they're good to go. Right. Um, uh, but we're, 
you know, we just had the biggest crash in sales in one year and total active listings are near all time lows. So we, my job is to try to explain how inventory channels work. And for, for me and my work, it's really based on credit channels, you know, 30 year fixed mortgages, lending is back to its boring roots. So it's not, um, it's not as exciting as people make it out to be. And the whole sell to be homeless things. I don't know who convinced these people. I mean, you got to, whoever that is, give that person a prize that this was ever actually a thing that people were going to rush to the market and sell and they're going to be homeless. And I think, I think, uh, uh, when we, when we talk about just general inventory, that's why the builder stocks are doing well, right? Uh, the builders have capitalized on this situation. They realize, wow, we, we don't have that much competition and we could really force mortgage rates down and it'll make our product more valuable because you're buying something new, but you know, the rate of, uh, like this and traditionally speaking uh, new home buyers are older and make more money so uh plus for them but uh yeah the whole concept of how inventory works in this country has never been good and it really started in 2018 like i after what i saw in 2018 when rates went up to 5% and housing home sales went from 5.72 million to like 4.94 man everyone was screaming the bubble crash is happening the most like inventory is not even growing year over year what's wrong with you people i was like they don't read and they like when they when it when it finally happens when we actually have a home sales crash by, back then purchase application data wasn't hardly negative but when that happens they're going to scream inventory um and it's just not the case because credit channels are much different and we don't believe in the concept of people selling their homes to be homeless i mean if you have kids you're probably going to lose your kids the police would probably take your kids from you i mean it's just basic common sense basic common sense and some of the things to watch for i i um follow a lot of accounts right even some some very well-known accounts and some accounts with a lot of people and here here are the kind of things they say like this is the beginning of it sarah it has been beginning of it since 2012 <laughs> It's crazy. I, and trust me, I know. So let me put in a plug for you are speaking at Gathering of Eagles, which is uh, Real Trends has been putting on this event for over 30 years. It's going to be June 18th through the 21st at Omni Barton Creek in Austin. You're going to be giving um, a great uh, talk. Mike Simonson from Altos Research will also be giving um, a forecast or you know talking about inventory. You're going to be talking about uh, mortgage rates and the economics. He's going to be talking about inventory. We have a whole bunch of other incredible speakers. We also have a pickleball tournament. Have you ever played pickleball? No, and I never will. There's a pickleball. There's a pickleball bubble going on right now. Okay, so what? This this will fade in time. Okay, I'm gonna play. Come on, don't be that old man. Like, get off my pickleball lawn. I'm a basketball player, so. We could play basketball and football. We could go, but pickleball, no. Okay, but people are really excited about. I'm sure they are. That's what every bubble is. A, there's everyone is really excited by pickleball. So it's just a bubble. <laughs> you, you run the numbers out here. It's like all of a sudden everyone's playing pickleball. So okay, so you're missing the point. So we want people to come <laughs> to gathering of eagles in June. Um, here, Logan, here, Mike, and here are just some incredible people. Um, and you can find all of that at realtrends.com. But Logan, thanks for being on and giving us your insight as always. Pleasure as always, Sarah. And we're going to be salsa dancing now because you talk too much about I and we and no, it's, it's going to be we. <laughs> that's my punishment, huh? Okay. Yeah. I think that's the audience's punishment, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Thanks so much.
We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register.